Welcome to Let's Talk. This is Dr. Hassan Batts, and I am excited to be in the studio with Shoshana Turberg, a new Lehigh Valley resident serving as the new rabbi at Knesset Israel in Allentown. Welcome, sister. How are you? I, I am great. It's great to see you. So, so let's jump right into this, right? Tell us about yourself. I uh, moved here in the summer from the Philadelphia area, where I'd been for about 10 years. I didn't grow up there, but my- Where'd you grow up? It's a a bunch of different places, so it's like not one answer, but the easiest, quickest answer is that I spent a big chunk of my childhood in Kansas City, Mm -hmm. and then uh, most of my teenage years in Toronto. Kansas City, that's barbecue, right? Yes, it is. (laughs) I've never been there before. So so Kansas City, then Toronto, where is home? Home is here. My my parents live in Syracuse now, where I've never lived. Okay. And I've sort of built a hometown in this general vicinity because I married a couple years ago mm-hmm. someone whose family is all in Philadelphia, and okay. that's where they grew up. And, and that's sort of a home base when we want to do family things. They're kind of local, and that's really nice. It's been, you know, I'm on like year 11 or year 12 of, of being in Pennsylvania. And if you look at the other places that I've lived, like that's that's a big chunk. Okay. So trying to make this home. What do you think about the area, about the Lehigh Valley, about Pennsylvania in general? I mean, you, you were in Philly, yeah. which is not much different. from Right. Lehigh. I mean, I, I love it. The thing that I've noticed since I moved to Allentown, there's a lot of opportunity to kind of drive a little bit out of town. You know, if you're driving between Allentown and Bethlehem or if you're driving mm-hmm. up to Shonersville, Fogelsville and the, like those areas, you start to see the landscape. And it's like those paintings from like 1901 mm. of the, you know, the little farmer on the hill mm-hmm. and then, you know, those huge landscape sort of amateurish art. Mm. It's just beautiful. So you go from the hustle and bustle of the city and within 15 well, minutes. Well, I was living in Plymouth meeting. <laughs> it wasn't exactly the hustle and bustle of the city. I mean, I was proximate to the city, yeah, of course. Yeah. And and I worked in Abington, you know, okay. but it was Philly suburbs. So this feels a lot like it's that. It's very similar. Yeah. yeah. The smallness of Allentown is actually really appealing at this point mm-hmm. in my personal development mm-hmm. and just looking to explore the the things in the you know surrounding towns and mm-hmm. the different restaurants and cultural opportunities trying to make home here. So what brought you here? So I was at a point in my career when it was time for a change. I had been serving as a rabbi whose job primarily focused on running the Jewish education programs at the synagogues where I was hired at various points. And it sort of felt like it was time for me instead to make a shift from educational leadership to rabbinic leadership of a congregation. And one of the places that was looking was Knesset Israel in Allentown. So you're like the, the like they would say, like a head pastor, the head imam, the head rabbi. Yeah. I mean, the only caveat there is that it's not like I've got six people under me, uh-huh, <laughs> you uh-huh. know. But yes. So there's you and you. <laughs> well, I have, I have some staff members, including a rabbinical intern who serves as our director of education. Okay. But I... Yeah, I'm the rabbi of this congregation. Now, you, and you are it, only the second female rabbi that I've ever met. Ta-da! Yeah, and, and, and within the same probably six-month period, so I did not even know. Oh, I know. wonder who you met. <laughs> she was from Philly. 
Okay. I mean, great person. Interesting story. So, so, and I and I would say I'm an educated, worldly person, but mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that female rabbis exist. So, so. Tell me a little bit about that. So that's actually a good story. And I'm from Brooklyn, Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, Crown Heights, Brooklyn is not the, the address to go to find a lot of female, female rabbis. Rabbi. Exactly, exactly. So there were a lot of efforts to make it possible for women to be ordained as rabbis, even going back as far as the 1600s. Okay. But it it didn't really pan out until we got closer to the 20th century. And there were certain efforts, women who would, for example, be accepted into rabbinical school, but then wouldn't couldn't be ordained. You know, like the, okay. the, the caveat was you have to know that you're not going to get ordination mm-hmm. on the other mm-hmm. end of this, but you can have the education. Eventually, through a lot of political maneuvering and knowing the right people and it being the right time, the year I was born, 1972, mm-hmm. The first woman in America was ordained. Okay. Her name is uh, Sally Presand, and it was a really auspicious moment. She's Rabbi Emerita right now, and uh, I have the privilege of knowing her. Um, It was actually kind of meaningful for me. The same event at which I was ordained was also occasion to celebrate her retirement. Okay. So it was like she became a, a rabbi the year that I was born, and then she retired, retired the year that I became a rabbi. So she handed the passed the torch to you, kind of. Yeah, although there were many, many people in between in the seventies and eighties, it was it was really an uphill battle for a lot of my colleagues mm-hmm. who did amazing groundwork mm-hmm. trying to build the sense that women rabbis can exist, can serve, have things to offer, can take on leadership. Right. And, you know, even now we're, there's still an effort to, to get women into senior positions, okay. especially in large congregations. Okay. And the pay differential that we have in American society is one that also plagues really? the rabbinate. Yeah, wow. sure, sure. Yeah, and, we're and part of America. This, yeah, that's right. <laughs> So, so what made you take this journey? I mean, of all the things you could have done, why be a rabbi? So when I was about 12, I met a rabbinical intern who was a woman. Her name is Rosette Haim, and uh, she's still serving as a rabbi. And I just really looked up to her. It was the first time I was able to see someone that I could identify with. Representation matters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And in addition to that, and this is no small matter, my father and mother are Jewish educators, okay. and my father was the educational director of our pretty large synagogue. And Was that in Kansas City? Yeah. Okay. And he and my mom really created a spiritually rich religious environment for me. Now, we were Reform, so a lot of people think of Reform Judaism as Judaism light. That is not how I understand it. It is a different ideology than the point of view that says that God wrote the Bible and it is, you know, from God's so mouth. So you say we, be... we were. Are you, are you still reformed currently? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But I grew up in a very vibrant, engaged household, and it was part of the reform movement. That was good for me because <laughs> the reform movement is one of the only, at the time, um, let's see, it was 
It was the 80s when the conservative movement first started ordaining women. Okay. Uh, so it was a, a slower process mm-hmm. for more traditional sects of Judaism. There are some sort of rabbinic roles that Orthodox women are taking on just in the last little while. Okay. But reform the reform movement was the most prominent uh, institution. Well, our rabbinical school was the most prominent institution to produce women rabbis at large. Now, the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College, which is based in Philadelphia, I believe had actually, I think they didn't ordain the first woman, but they accepted the first woman into their program. So, so when you say, when someone says they're Jewish, you're saying this, that's, this is not a, a homeo, how do you say, homeogeneous group. Oh, no. There, there are many different, what does it mean to be Jewish? Let me ask that. Oh, gosh. So to be Jewish is to be the recipient of a great gift, and that Mm. is the Torah. And I I don't mean that in a certain kind of way, because I think it can be received in lots and lots of ways, depending on the Jew. To be a Jew is, it's a religion, but it is very much a people, which means that belief isn't always the most important thing that we think of when thinking about membership in the community. It is a very, very diverse community and expands to every country all over the globe. And Judaism's diversity, I think, is often lost Mm -hmm. to the story or the narrative or the, the vision we have of Jews in America, because I think there's an idea that Jews are this one group that immigrated from this one area in Europe, and that's what Jews are, that's what Jews look like. They eat bagels, they eat pastrami, matzo ball soup. I, I eat bagels, pastrami, and matzo ball soup. I'm very glad for you. Those are great things. But there, are, there are Jews from who live. You know, there are Jews in India. They, their matzo ball soup is not their their oh, dish. You know, there are Jews okay. in Africa. There are Jews in different parts of Asia. There are Jews in South America. We all come from different parts of the world, and that means that what is Jewish is going to look different wow. in different places. One of the things that I am really working on is trying to expand people's understanding of what Jewish looks like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I think that we undercut ourselves by becoming more insular than we actually are. And also, I mean, there's a lot of moral reasons not to leave people out, but the greater inclusion of people who are Jews expands the possibilities of what we can create and what we can be. Mm. So it sounds like education... And social justice are important to you. Very. Where's that come from? Education comes from your parents. Mm-hmm. And where'd you get the social justice at 12 years old when you met? Um... Well, Judy, no, n- not from her. Um, I mean, I'm sure that she, at some in some conversation, would have reiterated it. Mm-hmm. it, it but I, it, I don't source source it there. I source it with the way I have learned about Judaism. You asked what it is to be a Jew, and I I mentioned the Torah. And the Torah is a representative of a covenant, which for me is, it's like a relationship. So we have a relationship with God Mm. that's unique to Jews. It's not better than someone else's relationship. God has relationships with other people's, but we have our relationship. It's like, you know, your mom is your mom, not somebody else's mom, right? So that's, that's how we understand our relationship. And that is like, I think of a covenant as like a marriage. So 
if you said to me, I need you to water my plants while I'm away on vacation, I'll pay you 20 bucks a day. And you'll come to my house, you'll unlock it, you'll water the plants, you'll do that for five days, and then I'll be back. Okay? So we have an agreement. It's very clear what your job is, right? You have to pay me $20 okay. a, a day, okay. and I have to water the plants, right? And if, if I don't water the plants, then I have broken that contract. But if we were married, like the Jewish people are married to God, essentially, um, in a marriage, you agree to be in the relationship, and it's an agreement, but it's not like I know what really is going to be expected down the pike. It means I'm committed to this in good faith. Mm. And things may get hard. Mm. Things may get weird. Things that I did not expect may arise. And things may be expected of me that I never anticipated. But I'm still part of that relationship. And that's, that's really how I think about what it means to be a Jew, is that we continue to struggle and think about and wrestle with and make meaning out of this project of living and we do it in a way that's spiritually connected and connected to our sense of who we are as a people that's powerful wow we're going to take a moment and digest that we're going to take a break and we'll be right back with lex talk we're in the studio with rabbi shoshana torenberg i'm looking forward to hearing more and getting to know you a little better thanks Everything is All Reit on Saturday morning and into the afternoon on All Reit Street. Two hours of new releases from folk and blues to new grass and swing. Join me, Jeff Chambers, for a great musical mix plus artist interviews and historical notes on All Reit Street. Saturday at 11, right here on WDIY. All right, All Reit. Welcome back to Let's Talk. This is Dr. Batts, and we're in the studio with Rabbi Shoshana Thunberg. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, so when we left, we were talking about you, you were educating us on why and how and in which ways education is so important to you. And you talked a little bit about your journey. And you were going to talk about social justice. Why and how is social justice important to, to you? So I was mentioning earlier we have this relationship with, with God mm -hmm. and however we understand God. And part of that is this idea that the world when God created it, and this is this is a legend. It's a it's it's not it's not necessarily meant to be taken literally, but its value, its moral meaning, I think, is very powerful. And that is that when God created the world, God didn't finish creating the world. That there's still stuff to be done. And the re why would God do that? Why would God make a world and not not complete the work? Well, the idea is that God made us human beings, God's partner in finishing the work of creating you, the you world. You are really educating me. I, I have lots of Jewish friends. <laughs> like I said, I grew up in a Jewish community, you know, right right, like adjacent to Jewish community. I've never heard this before. Oh, well, happy to so, so it's share part of your new. duty to complete the world, so to speak. Yeah, and actually you may have heard people talk about the term tikkun olam. That's the phrase that refers to that. It's an idea that if the world has brokenness, which of course it does, mm -hmm. that part of our job is to address that. We don't need to think of ourselves as being obligated to complete it. You know, when I was like 
in ninth grade, me and my friend, we're going to end world hunger. You know, like you're not going to end world hunger, but are you going to work towards it? Are you going to make for a better situation? And that for me is a very strong backbone of how I live out my life Jewishly. There really is in Judaism a very deep idea that we are responsible for our fellow human beings Mm. and that expecting people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, I I guess that has value, but the Jewish idea is really that in society there are going to be gaps and everybody's job is to make sure that all the needs are met. Wow. What what does that look like in practice? Well, one of the things it looks like is that Sadaka is a, a very important Jewish value, mm-hmm. and a lot of times mm-hmm. Sadaka is translated as charity. Mm-hmm. Charity is a, from the word caritas, meaning heart, right? So, like, cute little puppy is injured at the side of the road, and I pick it up and I take it to the vet and I pay the vet, vet bill and I like try to find its home. That's charity, and that's a good thing to do. But what if that were a raging, furious Doberman who was injured, aside from the safety issues, everybody deserves, and and usually I'm thinking about humans when I talk about this, but everybody deserves to have their needs met. And it's not about being moved by their situation. It's about our obligation to one another that nobody should fall through the cracks. That's a core component of what it means to be Jewish. And I would argue it's a core component of what it means to be Jewish for most Jews in America. Really? Yep. That's something we need everyone practicing. Yeah, and it's core, but it it doesn't mean we're always doing enough. You know, we collect tzedakah, like in terms of funds, in lots of different situations. When we have a, like a bar bat mitzvah, there's a, a tradition to take a portion of the money that you spend equal amount to a portion that you spent on a party and donate it there's for people in need yeah students when they become b'mitzvah they have a project that they do of service mm-hmm. to the community and that's actually a backbone of the preparation experience as well you know it's always great we call that a mitzvah project a mitzvah can be something that's like a good deed for someone else it also can be just a, a ritual practice mm-hmm. but when we talk about students doing their mitzvah projects we're talking about deeds of social justice and social um, so it's it's ingrained in, in who you are and your identity yeah the social justice aspect. yeah you yeah. said the world is broken hmm. what keeps you up at night come on the war in gaza i mean straight to it that that's i mean that's the right big... now i mean like look I, I feel guilty sometimes that I'm paying so much attention to that and I've sort of, like most of us, lost the trail of Ukraine. People in this country are suffering with social and economic inequity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that the core cardinal sin of this country is racism mm-hmm. and we will always be fractured and ill-developed if we do not address that in an honest way and try to move beyond it in an honest way, mm-hmm. which has to do with, you know, owning up to things, seeing ourselves as part of systems, acknowledging that those systems operate sometimes even without our consent or knowledge, taking the responsibility of providing or refraining from providing consent when we learn about how systems work. 
And I'm particularly concerned that as I've gotten older, it seems like our country has gotten farther from some of the social justice efforts and aims that felt more like priorities when wow. I was younger. Really? Yeah. Born in 72. Mm-hmm. Even through the whole so-called post-racial America and the racial reckoning, you, you're not buying it. We're getting further you away. mean, wait, which time are you talking about? <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about pr- like uh, Black President Lives Matter? Yeah, President oh, Barack oh. Obama, Black Lives Matter, yeah, George no, Floyd. I mean... I was being somewhat I mean, facetious, I right? I guess it's... There are steps. And, I mean, it, look, it's like the fixing the world, right? It doesn't get done. You just get further. But I, I'm very disheartened by people that want to call racism over mm-hmm. and want to say things like, oh, well, I didn't do X, Y, or Z, so this has nothing to do with me. Mm. Or I don't see race when, in fact, no one has that luxury that's right. It is so ingrained in how we do everything so that, in this country. You, that keeps you up at night. Yeah. And then you said Gaza. And Israel. Say a little bit about that. Where to begin? My people are under attack. Mm. I feel like we're under attack in Israel. And we're under attack in this country. And that is increasing in ways I've never seen in my life that is reminding me of stories I heard about the 1940s. Anti-Semitism in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Okay. And at the same time, Do I'm... Do you live be- in fear? There are moments. Yeah. Again, I'm not a black guy driving down the street, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. getting pulled over by a cop. There's, but you do, there's a, do you call that a yarmulke what you wear? Um, I call it a kippah, but a yarmulke is a pr- an appropriate term for it, too. Okay, so so you do wear a yarmulke. So when you're in Best Buy or Walmart or ShopRite, you are noticeably Jewish. So I wear it if I'm on my way to work or on my way back from work. If I'm just, you know, if it's a weekend and I'm headed over to Best Buy, I don't put it on. Okay. So I, right. I do it as part of my, my rabbinic role because okay. when I'm engaging in the things that I do as a rabbi, for me, that's spiritual work. Mm-hmm. I think that what's happening in Gaza is a moral travesty. And I know that the rock and hard place that Israel is in, but I'm bereft and hollowed out by the devastation and the ways in which it's putting Jews at risk. Not not because of anti-Semitism. I mean, that's, that's a thing. But morally like the core of who we are is in danger the fixing the world part that you refer to yeah if we're if we're that people you know we need to be more responsive to some of the the difficulties it's hard for me to say you know like i'm not there i'm not on the ground and i i know that and i know that the tactics and strategies are very complicated but there has to be a negotiated solution to this. There has to be a cooling down and a discussion about what is this future going to look like? Because we've been there. We've been there. We've, we've had hope. We've had partners. We've had partners fall away. And it's beyond disheartening. But it feels like this can't keep going on like this. I'm also worried 
that we're starting World War III. Mm. Not we, but this situation. Mm-hmm. And that's really terrifying. I mean, I was listening today to the Times of Israel's daily briefing, and they were, they're a pretty balanced news source. And they said that Israel's actually fighting on seven fronts right now. Wow. And it was like Syria and Lebanon and, you know, I, I don't have the list. But it's it's really scary and it's really, really heartbreaking that the international community can't acknowledge that a terrorist organization that wants to eliminate a nation is problematic in any way. Like that, you know, it's it's just it's just unthinkable. I mean, we can talk about how Israel became a state and what all those issues were, but as Bill Maher said in a in a video I was watching earlier, things do change nationally. We end up at some level moving forward, and this is a nation of people who are here now. There are there are people who are Israeli who are not Jewish. There are Arab Israelis. There are Muslim Arab Israelis. There are, you know, there, there's a, it's not like it's, it's a, it's a homogenous society religiously because it wouldn't be homogenous ethnically. It's time for everybody to come to the table. I say that with frustration because even though I know there, there's current reticence or at least it's reported in such a way that it seems like there's current reticence on Israel's part to do that work. That hasn't always been the case. And on the other side, we haven't had the partners that we needed. So you mentioned that in the U.S., things have gotten worse in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Is that the same in, in Palestine and Israel, that things gotten worse in your lifetime? Well, when I said that about the U.S., I was talking about anti-Semitism. And I don't mean— Oh, that's what you're talking about, racism. Oh, I don't know that racism has okay. gotten so much worse. Yeah, it hasn't gotten better enough. Yeah, I you know? it. Okay. Yeah, and, and honestly, like, look, to a certain extent, I have my point of view mm-hmm. on racism and, and I, the way that our racist system is set up is built so that there are things I – there are attempts for me to not see things, right, because I'm, I'm seen as a white woman. So the perspective is – is such my perspective is such that it's it's got to be limited in terms of its accuracy. We we we're gonna have to have you back for another conversation. <laughs> we, we are running out of time, and this is uh this is getting deep, right? What what do you want to leave our listeners with? What what are one or two things that you want the world to know about you, about your people, and about this world that you're rebuilding? So, about me, I'm on a journey of understanding this horrible situation that's going on right now. What I've said today is a reflection of my journey. As a rabbi, my job is to help others on their journey, not to have them mirror my journey. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to say that. I know there might be members of my congregation listening, and my statements are not on behalf of my congregation. They're on behalf of me. And this is the disclaimer here. Right? Yeah, and, and I write a letter to my congregation every couple weeks on this issue, and, and it's been a progress. Each time I'm writing about something else or writing about a new development and how I understand something and what I can share that might be of support or comfort. The other thing I wanted to share is that this is a problem. What's happening in Israel and Palestine is a problem for Jews 
because it's striking at our moral core. And we need to get a handle on that if we want to answer to history and to our oh. children. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your work. It's always exciting to sit with you, and we look forward to having you back so we can finish this conversation. I just want to add one one note to the end of our time together. This is December 28th when we're recording this. This is a pre-recorded session, and that means that when people are listening to this close to mid-January, that the situation in Palestine and the situation in Israel, the situation with the conflict will likely have changed a great deal. And to please take our remarks with a grain of salt and an understanding that uh, we may be in a different world. Hopefully a better world, right? Amen. This is Dr. Hassan Batts. You've been listening to Let's Talk. Thank you and be well. If you enjoyed this program, please go to WDIY.org or the WDIY app to share or become a WDIY member.